Hi folks, it's Rob from the Space Monkey X Audio Workshop. For a few years, I wrote, produced, and hosted a podcast called When You Hear This Sound, a show about the weird and wonderful world of read-along record books and storybook vinyl. As my life got more and more hectic, the episodes became fewer and farther between, until finally I stopped production in April of 2016. I've decided to include these old episodes as part of the Space Monkey X Audio Workshop, not only because I'm pretty proud of them, but because I would like to occasionally put out new When You Hear This Sound episodes under the Audio Workshop banner. I still have well over 100 read-along record books in my collection, and there are a few whose story behind the story would be well worth telling. As you listen to these old episodes, please note that the show notes will not be as extensive as they originally were. The websites where the podcast was hosted are long gone, as are the original show notes. So if you want to know more about something I mentioned in the episode, check the Audio Workshop's website, spacemonkeyx.net, but you may need to do a little Googling on your own. However, if there is a book included with the record, you will be able to find scans of it at the website. So please enjoy this archived episode of When You Hear This Sound, and be sure to look for new ventures into vinyl here at the Space Monkey X Audio Workshop in the future. Hello, boys and girls. I'm your Peter Pan storyteller. This is the story of the last starfighter. This is the story of gremlins. This is the story of Tron. This is the story of Raiders of the Lost Ark. This is the story of the Empire Strikes Back. You can read along with me in your book. You can follow the story along with me. Every time you hear this sound. Every time you hear this sound. Turn the pages when you hear this sound. You will know it is time to turn the page. When you hear the computer sound like this. Let's begin, let's begin, now. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of When You Hear This Sound, I'm your host Rob Lamley. In just a few weeks, Warner Brothers and director Zack Snyder will release Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice, the follow-up to his 2013 film Man of Steel. As the title suggests, moviegoers will watch as two of the greatest superheroes in history duke it out on the big screen. But any fan of comic books will know, this is far from the first time these two titans of the four-color panel have traded blows. Today on When You Hear This Sound, we're going to take a brief look back at the history of the superheroic conflict, as well as listen to two read-along record book stories, one starring Batman, the other starring Superman, to see which one comes out on top. In 1938, Detective Comics Incorporated, later known as DC Comics, released their fourth title, Action Comics No. 1. Like most comic books at the time, it was an anthology of short stories starring a variety of different characters. However, one stood out from the rest in the debut issue, Superman, a bulletproof, super-strong Hercules able to leap skyscrapers in a single bound. Although it can easily be argued that he was little more than a combination of traits from previous Pulp Fiction heroes, the fact is the visual medium of comic books made the Man of Steel a star. Thanks to his explosive popularity, spandex-wearing crime fighters soon took over the newsstand. One such year to be born from this boom was The Batman, debuting in 1939 inside Detective Comics No. 27, also from DC. It's hard to believe, but this caped crusader skyrocketed to stardom even faster than his superheroic predecessor. Shortly after, Superman, Batman, and his boy wonder sidekick Robin shared the cover of a special comic book created for the 1940 New York City World's Fair, becoming one of the most popular souvenirs for young attendants. 
Since the World's Fair comic was such a hit, the company got the bright idea of putting their two powerhouse characters in the same book, releasing World's Best Comics number 1 in the spring of 1941. After a cease-and-desist letter from rival Better Publications Incorporated, who had been printing their title Best Comics since 1939, the name was changed for the second issue to World's Finest Comics, and would remain as such for nearly 50 years. Although they often appeared on the cover of World's Finest Comics together, Superman and Batman didn't actually share an adventure until over a decade later, in 1952's Superman No. 76, in a story called The Mightiest Team on Earth. In the issue, Batman's alter-ego Bruce Wayne and Superman's alter-ego Clark Kent find they've somehow booked the same room on board a cruise ship. When trouble strikes at sea, the two men change into their superhero costumes and soon figure out each other's secret identity. It would be another two years in 1954's World's Finest Comics No. 71 before the two would team up again, this time in a strange switcheroo scenario where they exchange supersuits in order to confuse Lois Lane after she sees Clark Kent turn into Superman. The two barely share any page time, though, with most of the comic being used up by weird shenanigans of Bruce Wayne dressed as Superman trying to throw Lois off the scent. Although it might have been a strange way to kick things off, the potential for greatness was apparent, and the two heroes eventually teamed up for hundreds of adventures, making up a bulk of the stories in World's Finest Comics. The series lasted until January 1986, when it was cancelled after issue number 323, during the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover series that essentially rebooted the DC Universe to clear up continuity problems. The relationship would spoil in the post-crisis universe, starting with The Man of Steel No. 3. Written by ex-Marvel Comics creator John Byrne, the storyline borrowed from his former employer's common team-up trope of having the two heroes meet, there be some type of misunderstanding, the heroes throw a few punches, before eventually realizing they're on the same side against a common enemy. Although the two have worked together many times since, Man of Steel No. 3 introduced an uneasy rift between Batman and Superman that has persisted in print, animation, and now in the latest live-action film. Perhaps the best-known throwdown took place in The Dark Knight Returns, the 1986 limited series from Frank Miller that helped redefine the character of Batman, as well as the entire comic book industry. In the series, which many feel ushered in the dark and gritty era of comics, an elderly Bruce Wayne comes out of retirement to take on a ruthless gang of thugs known as the Mutants. After Batman kills the Joker, the government sends in their errand boy Superman to bring the Dark Knight to justice. But Batman is ready for him. Wearing bulky armor plugged into Gotham City's power grid, he uses a variety of weapons to dole out damage to the Man of Steel in a battle that's won for the ages. The reason Batman and Superman are often pitted against each other is that they are two sides of the same coin. While both are looking to stamp out crime, their methods and abilities are very different. Superman has the powers of flight, super strength, heat vision, x-ray vision, freezing cold breath, and nigh invulnerability. Meanwhile, Batman has no superpowers but is highly trained in hand-to-hand combat, has incredible human strength, and is a genius to boot. In addition, Superman is the Boy Scout of the DC Universe, fighting for truth, justice, and the American way. Batman, on the other hand, is a nihilistic vigilante on a personal crusade to rid Gotham of crime, playing judge, jury, and sometimes executioner. Turning these ideological and physical differences into a tangible battle is too dramatic for any comic book writer to ignore, so I wouldn't look for a peace treaty anytime soon.
In the 1970s, Power Records was one of the biggest names in read-along record books. They had licenses for popular franchises like Planet of the Apes, The Six Million Dollar Man, Star Trek, The Incredible Hulk, Captain America, Wonder Woman, Spider-Man, and of course Batman and Superman. But where Power Records really stood out was in production and presentation. The recordings were top-notch, with great sound design, solid voice acting, and exciting stories that fit well with the personality of the main characters. But Power Records also stepped up their game by creating the best-looking books to accompany many of their record releases. Unlike most read-along record companies, Power Records books weren't just a single drawing to illustrate an entire page worth of story. These were full-on comic books, created with the same level of quality you'd find on newsstands from publishers like DC and Marvel. In fact, legendary DC artists like Neil Adams, who helped redefine Batman as a dark, brooding detective in the 1970s, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, the man who drew the style guide for DC characters in the 1980s, as well as Marvel regular John Buscema, the artist behind most of the Conan the Barbarian comics at the time, all contributed to Power Records comic books. These Power Record comics came in two different formats. If the record was a 7-inch single with only one story, the comic was a pretty standard 6x10 inches, just like one you'd pick up off the newsstand at the time. But if you got the 12-inch LP with one story on each side, the comic was an oversized 12 by 12 inches, making the layout a little bit different than a regular comic due to the square dimensions. The first story we're going to check out today is Batman, Gorilla City. Here, Batman comes up against a cult favorite figure in the DC Universe, Gorilla Grodd. Introduced in 1959, Grodd was an ape of average intelligence until an alien spacecraft crashed into the African jungle that Grodd called home. The alien pilot gave Grodd and a few of the other apes super intelligence, with Grodd and his rival Salivar also gaining telepathic and telekinetic powers. With the help of the alien, the apes built Gorilla City, a highly advanced technological utopia hidden in the jungle. However, when explorers capture Solovar and take him to Central City, Grodd follows and learns Solovar's mind-control techniques. He then returns to Gorilla City and mentally manipulates the other apes to follow him instead. Solovar telepathically contacts the Flash, and the two travel back to Africa to defeat Grodd. Later, when Solovar tries to bring Gorilla City into the United Nations, he is assassinated by the Simeon Scarlet, a rebellious group of apes under the control of Grodd, leaving the mutinous monkey to become Gorilla City's king. Although Grodd was primarily an enemy of the super-fast Flash, his brute strength, intelligence, psionic powers, and just the pure novelty of a giant gorilla villain have made him a worthy foe for many of DC's heroes since his introduction. The story we'll hear today is no exception. The Superman story today also features a rather novel bad guy, Mr. Mitzelplik, an impish, bowler-wearing baddie from the fifth dimension. Mitzelplik, whose name has been pronounced about a dozen different ways over the years. My name is Mitzis Pickelik. Mr. Mitzelplik. My name is Mixes Pedelik. Name's Mixes Pickelik. Mr. Mixes Pickelik. Mr. Mixelplik. No! Repeat after me, bright boy. It's Mix. Yes. Spit. Lick. Mix your spit lick. The one and only Mr. Mixia Spitlick. I am Mr. Mixia Spitlick. Mr. Mixia's Pitlick. Superman and Batman. What fun! 
debuted in the panels of the Superman Daily Comic Strip in 1944. He made his comic book debut in Superman No. 30 later that same year. However, these introductions were supposed to be reversed. Mitzelplik was written for the comic book, but due to publishing delays, wound up being in the comic strip first. Mitzelplik is a magical being that can alter our world. And although he could easily use these powers to take over, for whatever reason, he generally just visits to mess with Superman. Despite his super strength and other special abilities, Superman can't directly defeat Mitzelplik. The only thing the Man of Steel can do is send the short, pot-bellied trickster back to his own dimension by getting him to say or spell his name backwards, Kilpitzium. And with that, let's get to the records. Be sure to head over to the show notes at whenyouhearthissound.com to check out the scans of the Power Records comic books that accompany these stories. And let me know which one you liked better. If I get enough responses, I'll release the other story of the winning album as a bonus episode. Until then, enjoy our own little Clash of the Comic Book Titans, 1976's Batman, Gorilla City, and 1978's Superman, The Mitzel Plick-Up Menace. A sleek ebony aircraft wings its way eastward over the waters of the Atlantic. The pilot is the world's greatest detective. The craft is the bat plane. And the destination is the heart of darkest Africa. Batman here, recording entry number 21A from my mission logbook. I am currently cruising at 1,243 miles per hour at an altitude of 57,000 feet. My estimated time of arrival over Africa's Kabanzi jungle will be approximately 25 minutes from now. As for the purpose of this flight to the largely unexplored Kabanzi Highlands, it all began only a few days ago, when Commissioner Gordon asked a favor of me in his office. John and Mary Tate, aren't they the man and wife team who won a Nobel Prize last year for their experiments with suspended animation? The same, Batman. And the fact that they'll be visiting Cotham City has been splashed all over the media. That's why I'd be grateful if you acted as the Tate's bodyguard while they're here. You're worried about possible action from enemy agents? Let's just say there are several unfriendly foreign powers who would have no qualms about kidnapping the Tates to obtain their vital scientific research. I'd feel a lot better if I knew you'd never be far from their side. Consider it done, Commissioner. Gordon was a cautious man, and he was right. Every major power on Earth has been trying to crack the secret of suspended animation for years, and the Tate's award-winning work in time suspension biology seemed to put them closer to perfecting the process than anyone else. All these thoughts ran through my mind as I met the famous couple that afternoon at Gotham Airport. Batman, this is indeed an honor. One told Mary and me to expect such an esteemed figure to offer himself as our guide to Gotham City. John and I have been in awe of you for years, Batman. That is one feeling, Mrs. Tate, I assure you, is mutual. I consider it a privilege to be of service. I arranged to have the best suite at the Gotham Hilton awaiting the Tates, and I made sure I was in the next room. After a busy night of dinners and functions, the Tates retired to their suite for a well-earned night's sleep. I, on the other hand, remained on guard in my room next door, using transcendental meditation to ease my mind into a relaxed level of consciousness. Relaxed, but ever alert. Much of the night drifted by peacefully, 
And then I heard it. My TM trance was suddenly interrupted by the sound of a breaking window. The split second I rushed into their suite, I was attacked by what I never had a chance to see. It was so dark. I struggled furiously, but it was already too late. My mystery attacker had me from behind in the crushing grip of a bear hug not even a grizzly could have matched. Within scant seconds, the vice-like grip had the best of me. I passed out. The next day, I couldn't turn on a TV or radio or even pick up a paper without hearing the same story. And we here at WKGC can't help wondering if Batman's failure to rescue John and Mary Tate last night is a sign that it may finally be time for the cowled crusader to hang up his cowl. After all, the famous Nobel Prize-winning team is now missing, and many people hold Batman responsible. But I was too busy to indulge bad publicity, as my faithful butler Alfred helped me conduct a series of exhaustive scientific tests in the crime lab of the Batcave. I think we have it, sir. I believe this last battery of tests has narrowed down the classification of the pollen traces you scraped from your uniform after your skirmish last night. You're right, Albert. I'm cross-checking the geographic tables now. Ah, here we are. The pollen is Reptilus parina, and it is only distributed by plants in the Kabanzi jungle in Africa. That means whoever kidnapped the Tates last night came from that jungle. Most intriguing. I'll fuel the backpack for takeoff, sir. Sir? Yes, Alfred? About those unexplained traces of fur you found at the Tate Suite, have you reached any conclusions? None, Alfred. At least none that makes any kind of sense yet. Moments later, I was winging my way eastward, leaving the Batcave and Gotham City behind, with one slim clue to go on and no idea what lay waiting for me in Africa. And speaking of Africa, I see the Kabanzi jungle is coming up directly ahead. It's time for me to wrap up this report. But before the caped crusader can end his log entry and switch off the tape... Trouble. One of my turbojets has backfired. The Batplane is nosediving out of control. Mayday! Mayday! Controls won't respond properly. A crash landing imminent. Doing my best to avoid... Finally, the smoldering and crippled Batplane comes to rest, leaving a torn and tattered figure slumped in the cockpit, a cowled figure that does not move or utter a sound. For many hours, the scene remains unchanged as life in the jungle proceeds in primitive ignorance of the damaged aircraft and its unmoving passenger. And then, as sunset filters through the tropical trees... A pair of rescuers appears, gently removing the limp, unconscious crime fighter from the shattered cockpit. Did he sustain any permanent damage, do you think? Yeah, I would say negative. A mild concussion, several bruises and lacerations. His injuries do not seem to extend beyond that. Once we get him into the city, our healing facility should completely restore his health. Right. To the city, then. The two rescuers lumber away, effortlessly carrying the 180-pound Batman between them. Effortlessly, because these rescuers are both gorillas. Hours pass. The Cape Crusader groggily moans and stirs. 
But it is not tropical vegetation and African wilds he opens his eyes to see. Instead, it is the antiseptic confines of an incredibly well-equipped, highly advanced laboratory. Where... where am I? Have you ever heard of Gorilla City, Batman? You're a prisoner here now, just like John and me. Great Scott! John and Mary Tate! Imagine a super-advanced city in the heart of darkest Africa, built and inhabited by apes, far more intelligent than man himself. A city that is even invisible to the human eye, surrounded by a special force field only its gorilla inhabitants can see. John and I had heard the legends like everyone else, but we never dreamed they were all true. Batman always knew they were true, didn't you, Batman? All eyes turn toward the source of that chilling, compelling voice of pure evil. The voice of Grodd, the most powerful and formidable of all the apes. Grodd, the super gorilla. Tell them, Batman. Tell the Tates how cleverly you worked your way in here. Why don't you explain it, Grodd? And I shall. A Batman, you see, no doubt used that renowned detective skill of his to pinpoint some clue my gorilla agent must have left behind at the scene of your abduction, Mr. and Mrs. Tate. A clue that he could trace here to the Kabanzi jungle. Being as unusually well-informed as he is, Batman knew Gorilla City was purported to be in Kabanzi, although no human being had ever seen it. So what did Batman do? He deliberately crashed his plane and knocked himself out figuring he'd be brought into Corilla City as a prisoner. Batman, we appreciate all the trouble you went to. You must understand, the experiments we've been conducting here are against our will. Grodd has also kidnapped our daughter and has threatened her safety if we don't do exactly as he says. That sounds like your style, Grodd. Just what is it about the Tate suspended animation work you find so fascinating? You're about to find out for yourself. Batman. Even before he can make a move to defend himself, Batman is seized by two guerrilla guards and placed inside a plexiglass booth hooked up to an ominous pulsating machine. A machine monitored by John and Mary Tate. You see this little gadget I hold in my hand, Batman? It's the remote control device that regulates the rather large apparatus next to you. The Tates call it a biological break. What it does is slow down a person's metabolism and body functions to an absolute minimum to prepare him for suspended animation. It would even work on gorillas if the setting were correct. But today, you are our guinea pig, Batman. Shall we begin? Grodd presses the remote control device. The biological brake is activated, and a bolt of shimmering energy seems to flash through Batman's body. A moment later, the plexiglass booth is raised, and its prisoner staggers out. Something wrong, Batman? You look a bit under the weather. Why don't you say something? Anything? What's happening to me? Very simple, Batman. You have become a living example of slow motion. You now walk, talk, react, even think ten times slower than a normal man. The world's greatest detective has been rendered totally useless. Now let's see how good you are at defending yourself. Don't do that. Stop it, Grodd. You're tossing him around like he was a rag doll. Please stop. You'll kill him. Hardly. Batman does not deserve such an easy death. I am through toying with him for now. What I have in mind for his demise will be far more excruciating. 
At once, John and Mary rush to the fallen Cape Crusader's side, only to discover... Oh, no! It can't be! Oh! He's dead, Grodd. I hope you're satisfied now. Get away from there! Does Batman think he can fool me as easily as a human? The grieving takes back away as an angry Grodd kneels beside Batman's limp body, placing the remote control device on the floor of the booth. It's a trick! Batman should have recovered by now! The slowdown effect is temporary. Grodd places his massive head over Batman's chest, listening, listening for a heartbeat that isn't there. But he doesn't notice Batman's hand moving slowly, slowly toward the remote control device. His fingers find the activator button. They push it. And Grodd is immersed in a bolt of shimmery energy this time, while the masked manhunter unexpectedly springs to his feet in time to avoid the pulsating beam. Batman! You're alive! I knew he couldn't be dead. I just knew it. And now, Grodd, let's see how you like a dose of your own slow medicine. It's not so easy, Batman. Oh, my gosh. Grodd has grabbed Batman. Surprise, <laughs> Batman. You forget. I'm a super gorilla. The biological break takes a lot longer to affect me. Long enough for me to crush the life out of you first. Desperately, every muscle in his superbly conditioned body being ripped apart in tortured agony, Batman tries to pry himself loose from the bone-crushing grip of the killer gorilla. That's it, Batman. Keep fighting it. The more you resist, the tighter my grip becomes. Until I've finished squeezing the very life. Biological break finally took effect. Grodd's not even moving. But neither is Batman. Is he? And then a weak but reassuring voice puts the Tate's fears to rest. Uh, I'll be all right. As soon as I slip through Grodd's arms, his reactions are too slow to stop me now. And as an exhausted but breathing Batman extricates himself from what almost became a horrible crushing death. How in the world did you fool Grodd, Batman? When he listened to your heartbeat... He couldn't hear it, because I was practicing an extremely difficult form of yoga that allowed a full minute between heartbeats. Incredible. But what do we do now, Batman? Grodd's gorilla henchmen are all around us. They're harmless without their leader. It was brainwaves from Grodd's super mind that was dominating the other apes, forcing them to obey his commands. Normally, the citizens of Gorilla City are among the friendliest on Earth. But you'll soon see that for yourselves. And true to Batman's words, the super-advanced gorillas show John and Mary Tate nothing but the finest VIP treatment. Thank you for returning our daughter to us so promptly, Solovar. Yes, you and the other gorillas have truly been splendid hosts these past few days. It's the least we could do, Mr. Tate, after what Grodd put your family through. But now that he's in our maximum security pen, Grodd won't be menacing the human race for many years to come. There you are, Batman. Does the jet craft we furnished meet your approval? Indeed it does, Solovar. And it's fueled and ready to go. Your daughter is already on board waiting to take off, Mr. Tate. Uh, very well, then. It, it's time to say our farewells. Moments later, a gorilla jet craft soars into the jungle sky as Batman pilots the Tate family home, leaving the invisible gorilla city behind them once again, hidden forever in the wilds of darkest Africa. On the world of Zerf, in the fifth dimension, is a civilization with certain striking similarities to our own. 
For example, their language is very close to English, except for certain words that have no vowel sounds. On this world lives an impish, practical joking gentleman whom we can begin to overhear as he dictates his recorded diary. His name? Mr. Mixler. Last time I went to Earth, I made everyone in Metropolis speak a different language. The time before, I made all the statues come alive and take over the city. The time before that, I gave everyone in town magical powers like mine. And Superman went backwards trying to keep the whole coast from blowing off. But every time I showed up, old Muscle Brains managed to trick me into saying my name backwards and magically sending myself home to the fifth dimension. Ha! Those Earth Rubes can barely say Mixtop took forward, let alone... Hey! There's an idea! Those lunkheads' words are all peppered with vowels. A's and E's all over the place. I's, O's, U's in nearly every word they've got. What if they couldn't make those sounds anymore, hey? Wow! I'm off! Meanwhile, several dimensions away in Metropolis' fabulous Galaxy Communications building... I'd just like to see what you do to get out of this one, Clark Kent. We were both sitting in that helicopter yesterday when all of a sudden Superman swooped down from the sky to save the little girl falling from the building. I turned to see if you got a picture of it and... And lo and behold, I'm not in my seat. Right, Lois? And you know what I think that means. Oh, nonsense, Lois. There's a perfectly reasonable explanation. How long do you need to dream it up this time? No, I've got you dead to rights and... Eep! Clark! Out the window! Tell Clark that plane's about to crash. What's wrong with me? Why do I sound funny? Excuse me, Oz. Why can I talk straight? Hey, what's going on? I, I meant to say, why can I talk straight? For at the very moment, an out-of-control plane threatens to make Midtown Metropolis its landing strip, the pair of reporters find that their speech has been impaired. Nonetheless, Clark Kent darts down the hall to a storeroom. No time to trade quips with Lois about being tongue-tied together. This is a job for Superman. Up, up, and away flies the Man of Steel to catch the tumbling plane on his harder-than-steel shoulders without a wince. And the city, watching from below, breathes a mute sigh of relief as slowly, gradually, the plane is set on its own course without damage. The city is mute because no one, no one at all, can utter the sound of a vowel. That pilot got disoriented when instructions over his radio came in with no vowels. He lost control. What can I say? What words have no vowels? Why? Rhythm? Can't make a sentence out of those words. Wait, there's another word that has no vowels. And that's the word I'm betting is responsible for this mess. Mixed patork! Mixed patork! You rang, Soupy? <laughs> You bet rang, you ridiculous little creep. You bet I rang, you ridiculous little creep. <laughs> Are those the words you're looking for, physical one? What's the do this mess anyway? Let me talk, will you? What's the idea of this mess anyway? Let me talk, will you? Oh, you want to talk, do you? Are you sure you have something to contribute to this conversation? You bet I do. You, hey, you magicked me. I can talk. Very observant, locker room breath. You were saying... I was saying you're mad. 
Insane. Missing your marbles. You're the only opponent I've ever run into who's made me actually lose my temper. <laughs> More fun than daytime TV, hey, Soupy Baby? When are you going to give the vowels back to the rest of the people in town? <laughs> Not in the foreseeable future. Matter of fact, I was thinking of depriving the two of us pretty soon as well. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't, would you? No, no, no! Yes, 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 bye-bye! As the imp from the fifth dimension vanishes, his mischievous magic stays behind, and a tongue-tied city as well as its super-powered guardian have their hands full. Phew! Mixed the bloke's been on Earth just a few hours, and already I've had to help the control tower at the airport by hand-carrying 17 planes to a landing before closing the runway. Then I broke up 46 arguments that were turning into street fights because people couldn't make themselves understood. What next? Hey, Superman! Mixed Patrol? He bit. There's a bank holdup at the first Metropolis Bank. Want to stop it? He says there's a bank holdup at the first Metropolis Bank. Want to stop it? You bet I want to stop it! As the Metropolis Marvel streaks to the scene at the bank across town... Listen! A small-time thug threatens already panicky people with a gun when... Whether or not he has the gift of speech, bullets still bounce harmlessly off the indestructible chest of a man of steel. And the would-be robber is momentarily rendered harmless to everyone else as well. Mixed pickle! Mixed pickle! something... Superman says he figured something out right here in this bank. Will wonders never cease? There's no can see with the rules. I told the imp there's one sentence I can say without vowels, and he's curious. I'll write it down for him. Akol tapoz yeksom. That's loaded with vowels. Soupy's gone crackers, and I'll prove it by showing him how this vowelless wonder sounds when I pronounce it without the vowels. Kol tapozixom. Hey, that's my name spelled backwards. My dad is gone, and I'm going to. I'll get back at you, you super creepo. You just wait. Superman, thank I. I can talk again. So can I. How can we ever thank you, Superman? That won't be necessary, ladies and gentlemen. But right now, I've got another job to do. And soon, at the Galaxy Building, Clark Kent and Lois Lane resume their long-standing argument. All right, Clark. I can buy the idea that you panicked and ran off when you thought you were losing your voice. That's what a lot of people did. But you still can't explain away your disappearance in the helicopter yesterday. Well, as I was about to explain, I ran to the back of the whirlybird to see what was going on more clearly as Superman saved the little girl. Sure, I'll bet you saw it clearly. I'm supposed to believe that. Will you believe these photos? You didn't notice that your camera vanished at that moment, too. Does that mean the camera is secretly Superman, too? Pictures of Superman saving the falling child. You took these with my camera, Clark? Sure shooting. What I didn't say is that I set up the camera outside the copter and tripped the shutter with super breath from long distance. Clark, I don't know how you wheedle out of these things. I tell you what, Lois. Since it was your camera, you can put them in the Daily Planet under your own name. Maybe that'll teach you to be more trusting. Blinny. 